the right idea at the right time. Miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. Welcome to part two of our two-part series with Dr. Joe Coughlin. He's director of Age Lab for MIT, and he's also author of The Longevity Economy. It's a great book that details how the concept of getting older is really quite misunderstood and how an aging population can and should be seen as a really big business opportunity. Yeah, to the tune of $8 trillion, in fact. In this interview yet again, we're going to also feature Chris Cassidy, the president of Global Healthcare Logistics Strategy here at UPS. We're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about how healthcare will actually be administered. What will the doctor's office look like? Who's going to lead in this new era for healthcare? And then we even have a few surprises for you. You've piqued my interest. We've got a lot of fascinating ground to cover, so let's get right to it. Chris kicks us off. At Walmart, they're hosting a national campaign at, I believe, 46 of the states. Uh, And they will do 400,000-plus wellness diagnostics tests for both employees and families of employees in the Walmart uh, stores. A, I think, to get people into the stores on the weekend, but B, because it's no longer about getting your diagnostics and tests run when you're sick. It's about getting it when you're well. And what do they do with that information? Uh, the second unique uh, thing I read, GlaxoSmithKline just partnered with Ancestry.com and 23andMe to buy all the data. So all your data for everybody that's just bought this test has been sold. Why? Because they're looking at the genetics and the history and the patterns as the future of R&D. Because healthcare providers in the traditional R&D sense no longer have the pipeline of where we're going. Uh, So they're now relying on data in terms of your history in the past to recreate how long you'll live in the future and what type of genetic things will, will be on your horizon uh, to whether you'll get cancer or not. And, and this whole notion leads us to personalized medicine. Is there some trepidation on the side of the consumer, and how do we address that with losing their anonymity? Privacy is going to be a huge challenge, and indeed it will be a huge barrier. But what I also like to ask is, how many of us have a credit card in our pocket? I would submit that American Express probably knows me more than my wife of 32 years. We are amazingly willing to trade personal information for convenience and care when it suits us. So I think it's a matter of building that trust, showing that we're using the information for a specific purpose rather than simply asking people for their data without them understanding why. I, you know, that's a great point. I think we have to look at the – we talked about the three different segments of generations, the 0 to 18, the 18 to you know, 40, 40 to 60. You know, I have a, a 15-year-old daughter, and she constantly says to me, Dad, but I don't care if they have my information. She's constantly on the video FaceTime. I'm, I'm a, stop, stop videoing me. You know, stop, stop taping me while we're in the car talking. And she's like, what? What's the problem? <laughs> so this, that, that generation, I actually think that the information age – uh, realizes the, that that they're, that tr- along with trust comes this notion of vulnerability, and they're more open. 
they they don't see information security and their own personal information as as something that's that's private anymore. Yeah. Their lives are public, and that's the way they they've grown up and lived. So. Yeah, in fact, I think a lot of us, even the older generation, are starting to understand that data is the new currency. Is that okay? I'll give you certain data if you give me certain benefit. Isn't that what blockchain really is? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 And I was just going to add that it's not just fifteen-year-olds running around with phones. I saw Brian in the office doing just the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's eighteen-year-olds as well. <laughs> 18, and you yeah. also get a two hundred coin bonus for saying blockchain. <laughs> work that in. I think one of the through lines here that we're talking about today is this concept of moving from stuff to experiences. This is particularly relevant in logistics where we've been pretty good at moving stuff around the world faster than ever before. But not just for logistics leaders. I wonder business leaders of all stripes, do you have any advice for how they move from a mindset of providing stuff to consumers to actually providing those relevant, memorable, dare I say, life-altering experiences? Yeah, this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges. I think the consumer is already ready to move. Uh, it's companies that have been successful doing the same thing for decades that are are usually the most reluctant. Many people in the world are are uh, fortunate enough to be able to have enough stuff. Now they're looking for something new and different and exciting. Or more importantly, it's about getting companies to not think about the stuff they're selling or moving. But the solution, what is the job the customer is trying to solve? Providing care for my mother, managing my medication, or frankly, getting from point A to B. That no longer needs a piece of tin and plastic at, at the second largest purchase I will make after my house, the car. Just give me the transportation. I now can get it with the tap of an app. So the psychology change, I think in this case, the technology may be disruptive, but it's the customer that's going to have to push business. For healthcare, it's about becoming, uh, you know, the customer is the patient, but there's an intermediate layer there of the customer and the care provider being part. Um, I believe that both the, the, the care provider and the patient are driving the, the need for, for healthcare and for the logistics of the healthcare. And you've, you've spoke about how the divorce rate has been impacted by, you know, just talking about what consumers are looking for. So you have these high divorce rates, and I think you've mentioned it, the cause is boredom, yeah. right? So could this be filling a void? Yeah, it's the wife articulating the boredom. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the experience that we're after is filling maybe a void, too. Well, think right? about it. I mean, a lot That's of people— That's because there's no more grandbabies coming home. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, start, so now more women are starting careers right. at 50. But, but think about it, there's no kids. Because right. being a grandparent used to be a role. It used to be a ritual. You're right. Now mm-hmm. that it's not there, you have to look for something else. But And, and I'm sure this will be controversial, but many people are looking at retail and why it's not doing as well as online. I think we're looking at that entirely bad, poorly. We're looking at online as purely an efficient transaction. The retailers that are doing well are those who actually create fun experiences. They engage. They mm-hmm. educate. They, they make you better when you walk out. They don't simply sell you stuff on sale. Mm. So, yeah, I think that we, uh, in many ways, are, are, are the new ADD economy. We, we need the stimulation every time we move. So, so as we've been talking, it's interesting with some of the work that you're doing in this space, not only at the university level, but on – as as a platform through the university system, thinking about how we as enterprise corporations and multinationals start to think about this MIT Age Lab and a, and a consortium of where we have an avenue to not only think about our traditional means of R&D and business development, but where we can really bounce things off of 
uh, of, of partners and ideas to look inside the home. You know, we talked about this home is now the home platform of the future. What does the future look like for UPS and how we create uh, healthcare services and really transportation logistics services of the future? How can the MIT Age Lab, what, tell us what it is, how it can help us, and, 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 and why would UPS uh, be a good partner for choice in this next couple of years project that you're um, leading? The MIT Age Lab is uh, based in the School of Engineering uh, at MIT, but we draw upon the School of Architecture and Social Science and, and Humanities and certainly School of Business. And we're thrilled to work with companies such as UPS because – while universities are about coming up with new ideas and theories, and certainly in our case, new technologies, the real way to advance living longer better, or life tomorrow, which is the, the goal, if you will, for Age Lab, is how can we move things from the laboratory into the living room? And that's working with companies to create an ecosystem of companies that provide a set of services and experiences that meet not just the needs, but the wants. And so we have this one consortia that we started and, and with your help called the C3 Home Logistics Consortium. And basically the consortia is asking how are the new healthcare services to remain connected, convenient, and care going to be provided to transform the home as place to data platform. And as a result, how can we think of all the different companies that will come in to provide the care, the convenience that we need that in many cases are going to be replacing the family that's not there? the daughter that may have moved or the person that's living by themselves. It, does this look and feel like homes that, you know, you walk in and there's space age, like you read the 1950s books and you see the microwaves like the Jetsons? Or yeah, do is I this, have to get my coffee? In yeah. The yeah right. Does it come out? Does the robot bring us out the, 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 the coffee and make our popcorn before it turns on the movie? Or is it is it more about a collection of, of companies? And who are some of these companies that are, you know, whether they're on the product creation side or the services side? Who, sure. Who's involved? The, the, these are companies because if you think about it, aging well is a multidisciplinary sport. So these include companies like USAA Insurance. They include Humana. Uh, they include companies that frankly touch every aspect of your life. With respect to what that house of the future looks like, while it might be fun, especially from MIT, to talk about being robotic and chrome and glass and the like, I think that the best house is going to be the house that you live in today. That the best technology, as was said by Arthur C. Clarke, is the technology that's seemingly invisible and seems like magic. And so we want these services to just be part of your daily life and to serve you by stealth because no one has ever, ever wanted to buy something that says old man or old woman's house. Is that, is that what they mean by frictionless sensors now? Frictionless sensors or, or, or passive, where frankly the same service and same sensor that says that my latte is getting cold is also the same sensor that might say, you need to have something to drink, your hydration is low. Yeah, so in the future, instead of having to go make that checklist of groceries on the front of the fridge, it's now saying, you're low on eggs and milk. And by the way, this three days ahead, we're going to call Instacart and bring it straight to the home. Absolutely, yeah. because if, 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 if the, age, the vision of the age lab can be, is successful, two things. We will have changed what we think is old, but the same services that serve the convenience and the care and connectivity of younger people will do it by stealth for all of us as we age. So this this sounds pretty daunting, actually. We've got we've got medicine. Go big or go right, home. Right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah. we've got we've got we've got medicine that's reinventing itself or doubling in knowledge, you said in every eighteen months. We have traditional R and D that we perform and we have these consortiums now that we have to put together to advance as partnerships. 
How does how does a company get in front of that? Well, I, I learned a, a new word. It's a made up word, but it's a great concept called collaboration. So it's <laughs> you know it, it, where innovation was everything we had to talk about. That's kind of gotten blended now. The idea is that that no one university, no one company can do it all because the consumer now is expecting solutions in real time, if not faster. And so, how do you get out in front of it by doing it smartly, as you have been doing it in house? but also looking to other players who are best in class at what they do and creating something new, not just something that was always there. What do you see as the biggest uh, risk or barrier of change for big multinationals like UPS, Best Buys, the big U.S. brands that you see, Home Depots of the world? I'm going to give at least two. I usually like threes, but I'll give you two right now. The first one is their own success. People, universities, companies, institutions, governments – always are very reluctant to do anything new. They don't want to acknowledge that something has changed out there in their ocean because they've always been successful for decades. I don't want to change. The second thing I fear is that particularly with respect to the longevity economy is that we are going to think that old age is the old age of our parents, our grandparents, and great-grandparents. Not only are we living longer and demanding to live better, but we are more tech savvy. We are more educated. We are more wealthy. The fact of the matter is, yes, there is a large segment out there who needs help and care, but there's a very large lead adopter set of people well into their 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond that are going to expect something new, different, and now. And I think that might lead us to a good place to close. Uh, In your most recent book, The Longevity Economy, uh, you refer to the aging population as the most misunderstood demographic. I wonder, are there three myths out there about older people that just get under your skin that need to be corrected right here. Just three? But, <laughs> yeah, that's ahead. an exact yeah. number. <laughs> well, you said you like three. I like, oh, I like okay. threes. I had, an, I had an advisor that said, if you don't have three examples, you don't have a point. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, not necessarily in, in this order of priority. First one is older adults don't like technology. Then please explain to me why they are the ones who buy luxury cars or the ones that are filling Apple stores before they open or buy iPads and record numbers or, in fact, have more apps on their phones than many millennials do, according to one research piece done by Pew. The second thing is, is that they are all going to be tired and retire. The fact of the matter is that most of us said that we want to continue work after we retire. What we said is we don't want to do the same thing for another 30 or 40 years. So we want to go further in doing something new and different. And the third part is older people don't like to learn anything new. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that colleges are now finding that their courses online and courses in the classroom are filling up with people taking new classes, not just the classes their parents wouldn't pay for, but classes to start new businesses, classes to keep them engaged, classes, that, frankly, to keep them productive. So I don't think you guys have to be a genius to look around and realize that the future is female. <laughs> it just is. Uh, Joe, can you talk? I kind of like that. Yes. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm okay with that. No issues here. Can you talk about this shift, what it means most of all, and maybe even what that might mean for logistics itself? As my wife says, uh, that when I made that note, it's nice to acknowledge 51% of the population. But in terms of logistics alone, the future female is not just the chief consumer officer of the house. But she's working in record numbers. In fact, older women are going back to work, not just starting new companies, but they're going back to work. So the idea that the companies need to restructure everything from the size of the trucks, how we access shelving, the use of exoskeletal systems to increase strength and reduce the chance of injury. Frankly, recruiting more women to do new jobs that require more personal touch than ever before. So yes, the future is female as a consumer, 
the future is female, definitely in the workforce. Thank God for us all. <laughs> I, I do think, uh, listeners, if you take anything away from this conversation, if you're hoping to get into the funeral home business, don't do it. It's not your time. People are living longer. <laughs> Joe, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. It was great to be here. If you like what you heard today, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or right on our website at longitudes.ups.com. And after you've signed up for the podcast, please drop us a review. We'd love to hear from you.